Ephesians 2, and it's verses 1 to 10, which you'll find on page 1108 of the Green Bibles. And that's Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its, its, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Great, well, let's just um, pray together. Father God, we thank you for these words from uh, uh, Paul to the Ephesians. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, guide us uh, by your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and minds for the next few minutes. Lord, that you take um, my words and that you would somehow transform them into something of eternal significance. Lord, come be with us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, well, calm gravitas. <laughs> Do you think that we could put Chris on every week? <laughs> I like that. That's quite a high bar to live up to. But um, hopefully there'll be something to take away today. We, we're looking at our series on <coughs> looking at our mission as a church at what we call RAGS, Regular Acts of Grace. And um, we come to talk today about um, RAGS at work, our mission in the workplace. Those two things may not naturally come together for us. We may, think, we may start to think about mission to our community within Parsons Green, but to what extent can we think of ourselves as missionaries in our workplaces. And by this, I use work in its broadest sense. I mean, running a business, working as an employee, maybe seeking employment, raising a family, in academic work or vocational study, or even using one's time creatively in retirement or during a period of unemployment. What is the relationship between work and the rest of our lives? Is work something inside or outside of God's plan for us? And what's it got to do with our mission? If we are to practice regular acts of grace together as a community, what might this look like in our working lives? 
So let's look at work. Here's Dogbert. Dilbert is always a good way, if you want, good way in if you want a satirical look at work. You may not be able to read this. There's Dogbert sitting on a stool, and he says, Welcome to Dogbert's seminar on work-life balance. First, review this list of your priorities. Family, job, exercise, vacation, must-dos, medical, eating, hygiene, sleep, romance, and holidays. You have time for three things. Work and holidays are two. You get to pick the third. We often talk about uh, work-life balance in our culture today. Um, but is this division between work and life a helpful thing for us? I think often things of work seems to, seem to grow, don't they? And then sort of counterbalance life. Does that mean that life there becomes insignificant to us and a sideline? Or if work is taken away from us, does that mean that our life then collapses through the floor? Sometimes we're tempted to see these two things divided from one another. But work, I'd suggest, is not separated from life. It's part of life. Do you like that? That's good, yeah. I think that life is made up of, very, of lots of different things, isn't it? Relationships, other activity, our hopes and dreams place in some sense, our creativity, our own personal story, and work within that. There are other thing, elements to our life as well. Obviously, our faith is a major part of our life. But to identify work as um, our identity is a mistake. And to, identi to identify any of these one things on their own as our, with our identity is also a mistake. I I'm very thankful. I'm a husband, and I'm also a father. Praise the Lord. It's a miracle. But um, if I was def to define myself as a father and as a husband above and beyond anything else, like that would be to diminish who I actually am. Similarly, I was born in Cardiff, and the week that I was born, we moved to London. So I now consider myself a bit of a Londoner, really. Um, but my mother was South African, and that's a, that's a very important part of who I am. But if I was just to limit who I was to my story of the places that I've been, that is to diminish who I actually am as well. And so it is with work. If we, are, if we have our identity tied up solely in our work, that is to diminish who we really are. And I think that our reading today from Ephesians addresses our identity first and foremost. Paul says there in Ephesians 2 verse 10, and this is going to be our, our key verse for today. <clears throat> we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our identity is tied up in God, says Paul. Paul writing to the Ephesians. Some think that this book in the New Testament is a baptism, baptismal document when you are going forward to be baptized in the church as a new Christian. Paul would say, right, read this letter. It's a, it's a sort of handbook 
for baptism, of who we are as Christians. We start from a place of identity. And, for, and as Christians, Paul says, our identity is found in God like a, a clay pot being made by a potter. And not just in God, but we're created in Christ Jesus more specifically. And I think there are two elements to this. Firstly, that all the members of the Trinity were involved in Genesis 1 in the work of creation. God spoke and it came to be. Jesus portrayed as the word of God, what goes out from God to, to, to be at work within creation. Um, but also, Paul is suggesting here, I think, that in Jesus' life, his death, first and foremost in his resurrection, and then his ascension to the Father, Jesus' work in us is like a work of new creation. It's a recreation for us. And so in Corinthians, Paul comes on to say, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Do you hear that creation language? And in this creation, God is at work within us still. You may think, well, you know, I, there's still quite a lot of the old me here. I need God's help every day to become who he's making me to be. But Paul writes to the Philippians here, I thank God for you every time I remember you, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God's work is still going on within us. This work is called sanctification in the Christian. It's God's work of recreation within us. It's going on every single day, but we must join in in that work. So I want to suggest, firstly, that work is part of our life. It's not opposed to life. It doesn't define who I am. My identity is tied up in God's workmanship. So firstly, work is part of life. Secondly, work is part of God's plan. Here we are, an original blueprint for humanity found in the records. I think it was in the Dead Sea Scrolls they, scrolls they found this blueprint for humanity here. Work from the beginning of time has been part of God's plan for us as human beings. It's something that he made and now I think he wants it back. Just as a way of a sort of slight diversion, I wanted to talk slightly about secular space. As we've already seen, Life is made up of all sorts of different things. Our relationships, our faith, our relaxation time, our families, our creativity, maybe an interest in sport or something else like that, our a sense of place, our work, and our study, all sorts of other, there could be other things in there. But the modern phenomenon, that the, the world that we live in today, Amongst all of these things, we experienced a sort of fragmentation. 
where they get divided up into different units. We have our workspace and our home space, our family time and our time for ourselves. We have marriage time, don't we? Time for all of our relationships. And in one sense, it's good to give all of these things a focus. But I think that within our culture today, there's a sense that these things become fragmented to the the extent that they no longer are joined up with one another. And nowhere is this fragmentation so strongly felt as in the, um, the division between work and faith. Work is something out there in what might be deemed a secular space. And sacred space is something that we do on Sunday, maybe in the privacy of our own hearts. There's a division between our public life and our private life. But I would suggest that the biblical account tells a different story. In this story, God, our work, and all of our life are inextricably linked from beginning to end. So just to illustrate that, I wanted to have a quick look at work through the Bible. This is a very quick whirlwind tour of the Bible from a work point of view. Firstly, that work was part of creation. There's God in the Garden of Eden with humanity. You can't read what he's saying there, but he says, breed and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. Creation was an active work. God made everything that we see in six days as it's laid out in Genesis, and then had a day off. But to some extent, the creation that God set up in Genesis was was deemed good, but incomplete. It still needed finishing off. And God, in his love for us, asked us to collaborate in that work, to join in with him in bringing creation to completion. He gave us creativity and gifts as part of our relationship with God to work with him in bringing creation to completion. So work from the very outset was deemed good and part of the plan. But that might be on its own a quite idyllic view of work and may not bear much resemblance to your experience of work on a day-to-day basis. I've had a couple of conversations recently with people in the congregation who are going through a really hard time at work. Relationships are um, under strain, to say the least, and people are not acting with honesty and integrity. Um, So what's going on there if work is such a good thing? Well, this is where the doctrine of the fall comes in. Here's God casting Adam and Eve out of the garden after they've eaten the forbidden fruit. And he says, Cursed be the ground because of you. I will yield you th- it will yield you thorns and thistles. In painful toil will you eat from it all the days of your life until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. So man's rebellion against God, man wanting to set himself up without any reference to God as independent beings has consequences 
And God here explains that those consequences are felt in all of our relationships. In our relationship with God, we feel some separation. In our relationships between one another, these are broken. And in our relationships with work and the creative order, we feel a separation and a brokenness. And for some of us, the fallenness of humanity is easiest to see in our workplaces. But it doesn't have to be like that. Paul here, talking about Jesus' work, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And in Ephesians, perhaps more than anywhere else, Jesus' work is seen as an act of reconciliation. We are reconciled to God through what Jesus has done, and we're reconciled to the creative order and to one another. And, indeed, we're, cre- we're recreated in our relationship with work. Those words of Paul again to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. The creative power that rose, that, that rose Jesus up from the dead can be found at work within us. To, uh, to complete God's creation, new creation in the workplace. Again, just like in the first creation, we're called to collaborate with God in bringing this restoration to fruition, one decision at a time. So Paul writes, we must work out our salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us. But the story doesn't end there. Here's a view of the new Jerusalem. And we can see kings coming in with treasure. And this is a reference from Revelation 21. It's talking about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem that God brings in on the, in the final times. This is what we look forward to. And it says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it and no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And so here, what we're seeing is that something of what we do today has an eternal significance. It can be brought in from our lives today into eternity. And this is what's being sort of uh, illustrated here by kings, people of influence and power, bringing their treasures into heaven, the glory and honor of the nations. Something of what we do today has eternal significance and will be carried into the new heaven and the new earth. But not all. Paul talks to the Corinthians and says that his own work and that of his colleague Apollos will be tested like, like metal in a crucible over the fire and only the good bits will remain. So the Bible's view of work is an affirming one. It's part of God's plan, albeit in need of redeeming like everything else. And it can have, it can have an eternal significance for us. So work is part of life. It's part of God's plan. And finally, it's part of our mission. 
I've very helpfully highlighted the key bit of that verse there, and you can't read it at all now. But <laughs> let me just read that to you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a sense of purpose in these words when we focus them on our workplace. There's a sense of intentionality about it. So when we um, think about rags in the workplace, our missionary sort of uh, expression, what might that look like? What are the tips for us to, to see our work as mission? How can we go about that in reality? A few tips. Firstly, seeking God's vision for the workplace. I've got two types of drug dealer here to look at. There's one sort of drug dealer. That's, um, that's apparently Tom's new car there. You can just make, make out there with uh, blackened out windows. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, it's nice. Um, sorry if that is anybody's car here, but that's supposed to symbolize one kind of drug dealer. And here's another kind of drug dealer. That's the, that's the GlaxoSmithKline building just on the A4 that many of us pass as we drive around West London. If you were to be found working in the first kind of organization, with the first kind of drug dealer, seeking out God's vision for that organization may be a very short-lived process. God might very quickly say to you, well, I think God, my vision for your organization is to close down, <laughs> and very quickly. But for the second kind of organization, I'm taking GSK as an example here. When we seek God's vision, it may be a slightly more complicated thing for us. We might have a certain ambivalence and undecidedness about the organization that we find ourselves involved in. On the one hand, it provides an amazing service for us, and we give thanks for the life-saving drugs that they provide. On the other, we may struggle with the large profits that they make. I think last year, GSK made three billion. Um, and yet they seem somehow slow to distribute the drugs to the, the people who need them most in, um, in the developing world. That's no, no particular pop at GSK. We, we can say the same for many different organizations. There's a certain ambivalence about the, the company. So what do we do if we work in this kind of company? What do we do what would Jesus do in that kind of company? Well, the first thing we do, I think, is to seek God's vision, is to pray for the organization that we work with. I'd, you know, I'd love to um, have Chris Goodwin-Hudson as a work colleague to feel that we could just pray together for our organization. I could just latch into his slipstream as he intercedes for the nation and for our organization. But maybe you don't work in, next to Chris Goodwin-Hudson. But I'm really thankful for, for all that um, Alan does in, in bringing together some of the businessmen once a month so that we can talk about the organizations that we work with, the work within, and the, the struggles that we're having. But we can all seek out colleagues, seek out Christian voices, so that we can talk about the things of work and to pray into it. The power of prayer is really significant. I um, 
used to work within the recruitment sector in a recruitment business. And um, I used to struggle slightly as a Christian within that organization because the, 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 the key value of the business seemed to be money. And, um, and I really wrestled with the money focus of the business. But beside every desk, maybe some of us work in organizations like this, beside every desk was a whiteboard which listed the sales that each person had made with a figure saying how much money they'd made that month. And so you could walk down the office and you could put a monetary value on every single person in the office. Oh, you're worth this much to us. Oh, great. Great. Oh, you're only worth this much to us this month. Hmm, you may not be here next month. That kind of feeling. And I really struggled with that. But my attitude towards the organization dramatically changed once I started praying for it. I prayed for the, the CEO of the business. I prayed for the vision of the business. And I prayed for the service that it provided. And that changed me. And I believe that in some way it did change the organization in the spiritual realm and even through the small influence that I had within the organization. But we start, I started with seeking out God's vision, praying in the, in the organization and for the organization. So I put that to you as a first tip. Secondly, we seek God's strategy. As any leader knows, we've just been on a leadership conference, so talking about vision and strategy is great. Um, as any leader knows, and we've been told this over the last couple of days as a staff, what you need when you've got your vision is a strategy to put it in place. And so God, I believe, had a, has a vision for us, and he's also got a strategy. And what is God's strategy for us? I don't know. Oh, there it is. Yeast. You might be surprised by that, but I believe that yeast has a lot to tell us. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable, and he says the kingdom of heaven is like someone kneading yeast into a huge bowl of dough until it's fully mixed through. And we're, we're to be like yeast, having an uplifting influence on the dough that there is around us in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's strategy, which is demonstrated in Jesus himself, in the incarnation, the enfleshing of God amongst morally ambiguous people, was to get involved. And he calls us to get involved in the, the places that we work and live. You see, we could opt out, couldn't we? We could say, oh, I'm not going to go anywhere where I might possibly compromise my, myself. And there are Christians around the world that do this. They opt out and they form little communities with fences around them. And they become quite inward looking. But I think that Jesus' example to us is exactly the opposite. It's to get involved. Jesus came to a morally compromised people. To people just like you and me. And he got involved. And the parable of the yeast urges us to do the same. So seek out God's vision. Be God's strategy in the power of the Spirit. And thirdly, exercise what Eugene Peterson here says 
uh, calls subversive spirituality. Our call is not to just blend in with those around us. Yeast has an, has an effect on the flour because it's different. And we're called to be distinctive within our workplaces. And just, I'm just closing with this to give us a few pointers on the kind of things that might look like. As we've already said, subversive spirituality in the workplace will involve praying for our organization and, those, and praying with those that we work alongside. It involves a subversive honesty in all our dealings and transactions. It involves integrity. Now, integrity, I believe, is a bit of a commercial buzzword at the moment. If you go to any, an organization and you look at their value statements, the word integrity will come up here and there um, with, with quite a lot of um, frequency. But I wonder how often we think about what the word integrity actually means. The definition of integrity carries with it a sense of our wholeness, being completely ourselves, and being integrated in all aspects of our life. Remember all those different aspects of our life, that they're integrated, joined up, not fragmented into private sections and public sections, spiritual sections and secular sections. Integrity means joined up. It means integrated in our lives. I was speaking to a member of our congregation in, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about a new push on values that they're having within their organization. And um, everybody is being encouraged to adopt these values. But at the same time, there's a real reluctance for anybody to be seen to be talking of things of faith. And it seems to me that this is a sort of contradiction in terms. It's very difficult to have values because without, without talking of faith because the two are so inextricably woven, interwoven. So to practice integrity in a situation like this is indeed a subversive act. And for the Christian, it always means being ready to give a reason for the hope that we profess, as Peter puts it. And finally, the final act of subversive spirituality in our workplace will be to bring all our influence to bear on behalf of those things that God cares about, namely a heart for the poor, concern for justice in all our dealings, and the well-being of the creation that he's entrusted to us. So there we have it. Work is part of our life. It's part of God's plan. And it's very much part of our mission as we seek to flesh out regular acts of grace in Parsons Green, in this city, and in the wider world. Amen. Wonderful. Will, thank you very much indeed. Let's stand together. I know that God has been speaking through Will uh, about our call to work, and uh, I want to give us all an opportunity before some of us have to go to collect children and pick up kids and so on, and give us all an opportunity to respond. Just as we stand now, I'm going to ask the Lord by his Spirit, very present with us, 
just to bring alive in our hearts and minds those things that he's been speaking to us about. And I'd love to give an opportunity to respond. There are one or two people I'd love, just uh, guys at the front here who are available to pray. Just two things in particular struck me, uh, and I just wonder whether God is uh, calling us to. One, actually, on a very basic level, is our identity, who we understand ourselves to be. I wonder whether you, you felt, in a sense, that Spirit just gently convicting you that actually other things, maybe the place of work, other people, other spheres of influence have, have shaped who you understand yourself to be and you're, you're not consciously God's workmanship. I'd just love to give an opportunity for you now to kind of recalibrate your understanding. Just where you are in the quietness of your heart to say, Lord, first and foremost, I am yours. You made me. I'm not defined by this company or that person or this activity. It's not what I do. Oh God, it's who I am in your hands. It's an opportunity in a sense to rededicate yourself. Maybe, it may be that there's someone here for the very first time. That's a brand new thought that God had made you and you are made in his image to be his son or daughter. And the second category, and I'd love, actually just specifically, actually if, that, if you're in that first category, I'd love to pray with you now just to give you an opportunity to, to pray, draw alongside one, someone. Uh, we've got pastors and uh, leaders in the church here, people trained to pray. But this category, I'd love just to call you out, just if you, either to the side or the front here, there's space. Just as we came out earlier on with the children, we can use this space now. If you sense the Lord is calling you for a refreshed or renewed vision for your place of work, and as Will was saying, that might be actually within the family. If you're called right now to raise a family, that's, that's the work he's given you. Or it might be in a company. It might be in an area, locality, if you're, as it were, a, a, you know, a, a voluntary worker using um, the gift of time that God has given you to work in a charitable basis. Whatever it might be, but you, you know that the activity's been running a bit dry. It's, it's like you're running on empty gasping a little bit for inspiration, for strength, for vision, for what God wants to do in and through you. If that's you, I'd love just to give this opportunity for someone to draw alongside you and to pray with you. Uh, would you make your way either to the sides here or to the front? I wonder whether sort of Fred and Harry and Sarah and Nick, uh, Rowena, others can be available, to, uh, Sophie and others to pray. I'd just love to give an opportunity for you to respond to what God has been speaking to us through will. You know that God called you, but you've lost sight perhaps of something of the vision he has in and through you to be the yeast in your place of work. And the rest of us would just be in an attitude of prayer for yourself and for these others. Just be open to the Lord speaking to you. You don't have to come out to the front, but it is an opportunity for us to meet with and, uh, and pray with you. God has so much that he wants to give and to do in and through you in your place of work.
This is such a vital area of the whole of his creation.